Hello and welcome to the Supernatural podcast. I'm Jill and I'm here with my podcasting partner, Daniel. Hello, Jill, and hello, listeners. Hello, listeners. And this episode today is a kind of follow on from the one we did last week as to where does fat go? This one is where does muscle come from? So <laughs> ideally, in a perfect world, you want the fat to go and the muscle to appear, right? But it doesn't just happen by magic, right, Dan? So yeah, it's, it's a good follow on from last week. We were doing the research and I was pretty astounded where fat goes even though it seems that quite a few people already knew. <laughs> but yeah, so then in the kind of in the same vein as that, where does muscle come from? Because in terms of body recomposition, ideally when you're, if you've got body fat to lose and you gain some nice lean muscle, your body takes on a totally different, more aesthetic, better looking, better functioning shape really. But yeah, that muscle doesn't come from nowhere. Again, there's a, there's a strategy and there's biological systems that make this muscle appear and there's um there's better ways than others to kind of stimulate that muscle growth, isn't it? Absolutely. And first, before we get completely into this sub- subject, I must apologize if there's any noise in the background. It is builders in my house. I'm getting a new bathroom fitted. I think I was getting that done last week as well. It seems to be taking forever. So if they're fitting a new floor today, so there's lots of sawing going on in the background. <laughs> so yeah. So what I was going to say, Dan, is, is first as well, we should reiterate that fat cannot turn into muscle. We <laughs> hear that all the time, don't we? I just want to make this fat into muscle. It's like, no, it's like changing apples into pears. They are two different things. So fat cannot turn into muscle and muscle cannot turn into fat, right? Yeah, well said, because it's so common and it's really frustrating. And it's people can just get their head around that. Like you said, the, the two totally different things. It's just an illusion. If you drop body fat and you gain muscle, it just can give the appearance that the fat has turned into muscle. But yeah, they're totally different. I think what confuses some people as well is the if they're going off the weight on the scales and they might lose a lot of body fat and gain muscle, but they're going to wear the same. Mm. Uh, but you've got, to, you've got to take it on body shape, body appearance, the way your clothes fit. Having muscle is more dense, more lean, but having a fat that accumulates in different areas. So yeah, two different things. We want to get rid of excess body fat, gain nice lean muscle, get that body recomposition. For most people, that's the aim of the game when we get into health and fitness routines, isn't it? Absolutely. That's what most people want to do, isn't it? And of course, muscle is metabolically active, so it requires calories, whereas fat doesn't, it just sits there and accumulates. So the more muscle you've got, or the better function of muscles that you've got, the um, more metabolically active you are. So your metabolism will increase. And another like kind of follow on from what you said, just at the start there about muscles, uh, fat doesn't turn into muscle. That's obviously a very common myth that we hear, like a misconception. So the other one is when you're, especially with um, females, when you mention you, we're going to gain some nice muscle, like, well, I don't want to get too bulky. Does that mm. drive you mad on? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get too bulky. Like, I don't want to get too bulky. You've got so, no chance of that. <laughs> so again, that's a very, very common misconception. Women don't have the, the hormones. They don't have enough testosterone. And the body's just aren't set up to carry this big bulk of muscle. And even in men who carry that big, huge bulk of muscle, when you think about muscle mass, most of them are on synthetic testosterone and, and yeah. anabolic steroids and things like that. So our natural physiology will just create a nice, aesthetic, good-looking shape. Women won't gain massive amounts of muscle as soon as they start eating a bit of protein and lifting a few <laughs> weights. It just gives you a really nice body shape. Yeah, like 
I hear that a lot. I don't want to bulk up too much. It's like you've got no chance of bulking up. You're not going to look yeah. like Arnold Schwarzenegger from lifting like a two kilo weight, <laughs> swinging a four kilo kettlebell every now and then. You're not going to turn into Arnie, but yeah. it will like increase your muscle mass in your arms. But that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah. And even if you did decide to like, I don't know, for any random reason, take weightlifting very serious, it would still take so much effort i can't even describe to you how much effort it takes <laughs> to get as big as someone like arnold schwarzenegger it's almost near impossible even uh, even if you take anabolic steroids these were like the pinnacle like the, the premier league of yeah. of, um, of bodybuilders so that was like that's their life as well it's everything it's uh, like yeah. the food they eat everything is weird measured and Oh, everything they, 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 they're like they are so such good statisticians weightlifters like if you ever wanted a statistician, you should get a weightlifter in because they are like they have everything measured and statistics. Yeah, all are. all food down to the grams, every step, every yeah. ounce of body fat, water. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it is a twenty four seven thing, isn't it? It's it's their life. Yeah. So like lifting a couple of weights and eating a bit of protein is not going to create a massive amount of bulk. Um. So I thought we'll just start by describing what a muscle is, because um our listeners might not really understand what muscles are so um i've written a few things down here that uh, we have over 600 muscles in our body including our facial muscles we forget that we have as our muscles that create our expressions um and each muscle uh, is broken down into fibers and then these fibers are broken down into microfibers and they're called fibrils and each fibril has a nerve cell so every time you activate a muscle you're activating your nervous system um, so it's really good for brain health as well, because it gets the neurons firing in your, in your head, in your brain, not in your head, <laughs> in your brain. Um, muscle strength depends on how many microfibrils you have. So the more microfibrils you have, the stronger your muscle. Um, your body has three types of muscle. We've got skeletal muscle, which is what most people think of as a you, the, the body's, the muscles that move your skeleton around. And that's all they're there for, really, just to move you around in, in, in the universe. We have smooth muscle, which is what's um, internal muscles or like what your intestine, intestinal walls made of. We don't have any control over there. The, the muscles, they're just automatic. And then you have cardiac muscle because your heart is a muscle as well. Um, skeletal muscles can only pull in one direction and they work in pairs. So if you think of the bicep, the, uh, to, to, um, I'm doing it now, flex the <laughs> elbow. <laughs> so, um, the bicep will contract and the tricep will lengthen. So there's always skeletal muscles always work in pairs. So that's, that's a, one thing that we as, we as trainers always look for, isn't it? Like what's the opposite and opposing muscle what's the antagonist, what's the prime mover, What's the stabilizer? Because every movement has all these different like muscles that have, have got a job. So depending on what we want to work on or achieve, we'll always be looking at what muscles are we using? Where's gravity? How long under tension? What type of fibers? And all of that kind of thing. There's quite a lot into really writing an exercise program for someone, isn't it? That people probably don't realize. Yeah, as well as things like um, if you're training for like a sport specific event or you have an injury, if you're training to hike mountains or you're training to do the shot put, the training is going to be totally different. There's different yeah. um, fast twitch or slow twitch muscle no, fibers. I haven't got to that bit yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, <laughs> there is a lot. There is a lot to say in you. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the skeletal muscle that we, we're going to be talking about mainly today, that's broken down as well into slow twitch and fast twitch muscles. So type 
one and type two fibers. So the slow twitch ones are more your postural ones, the ones that can stay on for a long time and require minimal effort. And then you've got your fast twitch muscles, your type two, which are the ones like the power and the speed muscles that are active quickly and then they get tired quickly. Those are the ones that ex exert force in the world. So we, you want to be when you've got a good, if you just want to get fitter and have an all round exercise program, then you'd be looking at what fast twist twitch it's really hard to say fast twitch and slow twitch muscle fibers do we want to be using so there's, there's quite a lot involved really when you're trying to think about writing a program that you've got to be quite know what you're doing really don't you most of those things are relevant more for exercise coaches when we're writing a program when we're working with clients if you just want to kind of lose body fat and, and gain muscle a lot of those things you, you don't have to think about too much you'll be able to tell if you're doing it wrong if you're doing like hours and hours worth of cardio lifting really light weights for a long time you're just working on your muscular endurance and you, you probably won't build as much as much muscle mass so just try and bring those um like increase the weight but bring the the sets and the, and the time down there's that, that inverse relationship so a really common one if you just want to build a bit of muscle just do maybe 10 to 12 reps think two seconds on the way up two seconds on the way down do that three or four times and pick like your favorite six or seven exercises and that's pretty much it. That's like, that's in a nutshell. Yeah. That, that That's it. But then comes into play progressive overload, which sounds mm -hmm. really complicated, but it's not. So when you do resistance training, when you lift weights, essentially you're damaging the muscle. So this is really interesting. So you're, you're creating microscopic tears in the muscle, which is where everyone's probably felt that you get the, we call it DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness, which if ever you've done a heavy leg workout, then you go to walk down the stairs the next day. <laughs> it's that awful feeling of trying to you know, get off the toilet or get in and out of the car <laughs> yeah. when your legs are just killing. Um, it's because you've, you've created damage in the muscle. So these microscopic tears obviously need repairing. So your body creates what we would call a cytokine storm, which is Wim Hof's mm -hmm. favorite, uh, favorite phrase. Um, <laughs> so your body goes in to repair the muscle. So what, But what it does is it repairs the muscle fibers back slightly bigger and slightly stronger every time because your body likes the path of least resistance it wants to make life easy for you so if it knows you're going to be lifting weights three times a week it wants those muscles to be stronger to make mm -hmm. that weight lifting easier so we have to hack the system so we have to make the weights heavier every like almost mm -hmm. every time yeah. to create those tears because all of a sudden that two kilo dumbbell that you're doing bicep curls with becomes too light it won't cause any of those those tears in the muscle so you have to go to three kilos to four kilos and that's progressive overload you have to do it safely you kind of just jump up five ten kilos every week mm. um but eventually you have to challenge the system to get better every time you have to increase that stress a little bit and that's how that muscle breakdown repairs so you, uh, your body sends out signals it repairs that muscle back slightly stronger slightly bigger and then your muscles just get bigger and you're going to look better Obviously, the more muscle you have, like you said, your metabolic rate's going to go up, which mm -hmm. means um, you're burning more calories all the time, which is hopefully going to get rid of body fat. Yeah, and that's kind of how it works, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. It's a nutshell done, well done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but then it comes into play to repair the muscle. You have to have good fuel on board. You have to have good sleep. Yeah. It's not just the workouts, only one part of a, a more like a bigger complex system, isn't it? Yeah, and this is a good example of how stress, we always think stress is a bad thing, but this is how stress is a good thing for your body because it creates that adaptation. And like you say, you can't go up to up the weights too fast because then that would be an example of how stress would injure you because you've gone too far too soon. 
So just gradually increasing the weight is actually creating a stress on your body, which then kicks in your systems and you see your immune system kicks in as well to repair the, the damage that's done. And it's, you just gradually, it's like micro dosing the, um, the system really, isn't it? To create an adaptation. So that's, that's how you do it. Yeah. And there's, there's multiple ways you can do it as well. So you can, you can increase the weight. You just, mm-hmm. so there's like quite a few variables increasing the weight's the obvious one. You can increase the time under tension, which is quite mm-hmm. interesting when you learn about, when you learn about that. So essentially you just work on the muscle for a longer period of time. You might use the same two kilo dumbbell, but you might do it for 60 seconds instead of 40 seconds. And you're going to work the muscle mm-hmm. harder for longer. Um, even things like body weight and Pilates, you might do um, planks or certain holds. Doing it for longer is obviously going to be harder. So the muscles have got more chance of creating those microscopic tears. Yeah, you can you can do an extra workout a week. You can work out for 60 minutes instead of 40 minutes. There is a lot of variables you can do. You can do things like drop sets and supersets, which gets all a bit too complicated for, for this conversation. But yeah, it's essentially, it's just putting that kind of, like um like Atomic Habits talks about, like if you just get 1% better in every workout mm. or even just every week, imagine in a couple of years how much more weight you'll be lifting, how much longer you'll be working out for because your body adapts. It wants to be stronger, but it also wants it everything to be easier. So it creates that muscle growth. Really interesting. Uh, it's so interesting. And like we're going back to um, time under tension because I think this is like one of the one of the best things you can do to create adaptation um in plot is in kettlebells as well in kettlebell training you know we we i always change the time under tension for different exercises you think about where gravity is as well a lot of the time as to what muscles you're using but like for kettlebells for example you can do like tabata style which is like 2010 or you can then go into 45 15 or every minute on the minute there's like lots of different ways that you can change it around and um and that's creating that time under tension so it's effectively you start off with your fast twitch fibers and and then the longer you're creating that tension you switch to the slow twitch fiber muscle so you're getting the whole body workout rather than just concentrating on the fast twitch ones as well that's a good point because when you do um i know so you start off the round for your tabata training and you might be doing kettlebell squats People probably notice the first two or three squats are like really sharp and really fast and you feel really strong. It's because you're using a different, a different system, you're using the phosphocreatine mm-hmm. system, which is really explosive. But like 30 seconds in, 45 seconds in, like you're starting to get that tired. That's like, not there that, anymore. <laughs> it's building up in your legs. So now you're working on a different, you're working into different systems. You're going into the, the lactic acid system, the, um, the aerobic system. So we have all these different energy systems because that's how life works. Sometimes we need to be really explosive. Other times mm-hmm. we need to be really aerobic and go for a long distance of time. So yeah, that, that's that's a good point, yeah. Yeah, so um, I've just talked about those different energy systems. I've got a little example here because that's something else as well. Your muscles are fueled by different energy systems at different times. And so um, sometimes you really feel really tired and it normally hits you like at the beginning of a workout, doesn't it? Like you get, you do your warm up and then you start and you think, Oh God. And then like you get this other system kicking in and you feel great for like the second and third rounds. And then by the last round, you're not good again. And, uh, it's, it's not necessarily your muscles. It's the different energy systems that you're using behind those muscles. So if you started running, let's, I've just got this example. So you start running for the first three seconds, your ATP, which is, even you know, the name of it. Go on, can you remember? Adenosine triphosphate. 
That's the one. I can never say it. <laughs> Which is what is made in your muscles. So that's the energy that your muscles make. It's called ATP. Um, and it just that your muscles just have generally it floating around every now it like just there. So when you first start running, it's your body just uses that that that's just readily available. Then for the eight to, so if you carry on running, then eight to ten seconds, you use the phosphagen system, which is in the creatine system. This is what hundred meter runners use. So they just basically it's anaerobic exercise. They're not using oxygen. It's just straight there. Then they're going as fast as they can with acceleration, with power, with speed, and then that's it done. And then then they collapse at the end, don't they? Because then they need all that oxygen to replace everything yeah. that they've used. Um, then if that goes on longer, so if you were carrying on, like say the 200 to 400 meters, I, I heard this guy talking and he was saying like the 200 to 400 meters are actually the hardest ones to run because you're switching your energy systems over in between. And because uh, you're running really fast in a 200 to 400 meters, aren't you? like 200 meters really fast race, isn't it? But yeah, I, re- I remember doing the 400 meters back in the day and it was the most torturous thing it only lasts like 60 seconds or 70 seconds but your body doesn't know what to do it's like 70 seconds is quite a long time to be running yeah. flat out but you kind of do like a 100 percent effort for 70 seconds <laughs> so it used to absolutely kill you yeah so the 100 meters just just using one energy system really so that's okay you're finished by the time your second energy system is trying to kick in but 200 meters yeah a second energy system has to kick in and 400 meters. So it's like, it's hard to be going flat out, like you say, while you're switching an energy system. So then you're going to your, your creatine system. And then if it's longer than the, the 200, like um, eight to 10 seconds, the, the, so if you're going at like 30 seconds now, you're going into the glycogen lactic acid. That's when you're starting to build up that oxygen debt that we all learned about in biology. This is like the longer races now. And then if it goes on any longer than like a marathon or a really long distance run, then your aerobic system kicks in and that's when you need oxygen. So you start to breathe properly. But um, yeah, the glycogen lactic acid one, and it's the lactic acid that builds up in the muscles that creates that feeling of the, the delayed onset muscle soreness the next day. Yeah, that muscle burn, we all know about that. Everybody so, wants to feel the burn, don't they? But like, they don't really want to the next day when they yeah, can't get up the stairs. <laughs> yeah, there's there's like a limit. There's having that nice little bit of a buzz in your muscles that you know you've done something. Yeah. But when you just when you do too much and it, it absolutely destroys you, and you just you never want to go back, and you think that pain in your legs is never going to end. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it does. But yeah, so all those different energy systems require different forms of training. If you are training for a marathon. Like you say, you have, you have, you have system, to train yeah. the aerobic system. You have to do lots of reps for a long period of time because you have to replicate the training. There's no point in doing um, explosive handstand clap and press ups for <laughs> for 10 <laughs> seconds to train for a marathon. You need to you need to do circuit training for like 45 minutes or an hour. It's, yeah, yeah, and it makes sense logically, but a lot of people get lost in the lost in all of this. Yeah, because people tend to think they need to do the aerobic training, like go that long distance kind of long time so slow twitch muscle fibers essentially yeah. but you need to be working all your muscle fibers so yeah you need to work them all so yeah so it's um in a pilat just out of interest a pilates class is classed as an endurance exercise because we're using slow twitch muscle fibers because we're slowing everything down yeah and, and you spoke about time under tension earlier as well so that's yeah. really interesting because the amount of time under tension in a Pilates class will be very, very high. 
It so is, yeah. Just to explain to the listeners what time under tension is, is just the amount of time your muscle is working for. So again, to, to break it down into something quite simple, imagine a bicep curl. If I told one of my clients to do 20 bicep curls, but they just lifted it up and it took one second, then they lowered it back down, that took one second. So that's going to be two seconds for, per one rep, and they did 20 reps. So that's 40 seconds worth of time under tension. That's what you have to think about. Mm. But if someone just machine gunned out 20 reps as quick as they could, <laughs> you might get them done in like 15 seconds. Yeah. yeah. So your muscles have actually only worked for 15 seconds. But if you wrote it down on a piece of paper, both clients will have done 20 reps. So mm-hmm. if you want that, if you want to create that microscopic tear in the muscle, that muscle breakdown, so it recovers back a little bit bigger and stronger, you have to work that muscle under tension for a longer period of time, time under tension. I guess that's one of the factors which beginners, they always miss out. They do everything mm. fast and too heavy with pad technique. Um, but yeah, something like a Pilates class, because you got, you're probably going to be, the muscles are going to be under tension for something like, I don't know, in total 30, 40 minutes, constant, mm. or constantly under tension, which is why it's so effective. Yeah, that's why it's so good for your posture as well, because if you think about those slow twitch fibers like in a marathon you've got to be able to hold yourself up standing you can't run a marathon on your back can you for like (laughs) two hours so um yeah so you've got to be able to um use your postural muscles which are the slow twitch fiber muscles which are the ones that can hold the tension for long enough um that's why it's good combine that's why pilates goes with lots of other things as well because it's really good to combine it with the weightlifting kind of thing because you're getting all those muscle fibers yeah, a lot of um, a lot of sports teams do things like yoga and Pilates now because um, you think a, a football match lasts ninety minutes, so yeah. you're going to be so you're going to be working every single energy system going. Your muscles mm-hmm. are using uh, type one, type two, fast twitch, slow twitch. So a footballer might do, he might sprint for the ball, which may t- take five seconds of really intense effort, but he's still on his feet and constantly moving for ninety minutes. Mm-hmm. So having a, like a program which includes explosive weightlifting to help with the sprints, but then also including Pilates in the program to help with the long-term endurance is a really effective way to train for, for more sports, to be honest. Yeah. Because yeah. more sports are explosive, but they are endurance-based. Yeah, I remember when we were training at the Czech Institute, we had to like look at all the different types of sports and say we're the fast twitch, slow twitch, yeah. endurance, time under tension, and things like tennis was come out really high, didn't it? Like, yeah. It's a, is a really hard sport to do. You don't really think of tennis as like a hard sport, but when you think how long the matches are, the oh, God, yeah. explosive energy that they need to run quickly and then bash a ball, it's like... It's like a sprint for two hours of tennis. Yeah. <laughs> you never is. move slow. It's, it's, a, it's like boxing as well. Boxing, it's 12 three-minute rounds, which is so aerobic. It's so much endurance in that, but throwing a big right hook is very explosive so yeah. it's two different energy systems so you yeah. have to train correctly yeah and if you're writing exercise programs for them remember what was that exercise program i had to write for an, an ice skater or something yeah there was there was two there was a like a 10 a year experienced ice skater and then there was like a, a stay-at-home mother and you had yeah. to write and there was <laughs> you had to see like you have to include time under tension training age and what the demands of the sport were it's, yeah, so, yeah. and it's vast vastly different isn't it because you've got to think of things like balance, coordination, like 
uh, an ice dancer would need a heck of a lot more balance and coordination than a um, than a stay-at-home mother. But you still need to include all those things in. But on an ice dancer, you'd probably be standing on a Swiss ball while yeah. chucking things at them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, blindfolded. <laughs> yeah, whereas a, a mother would maybe standing on one leg while lifting, lifting a, a medicine ball or something to replicate a baby or something like that, you know? So Yeah. It's really interesting when you get into it all, but um, yeah, for, for the beginner, you don't really know, need to know all of those things, but it's nice to have a background of kind of how it all works. But so, yeah, so anyway, you, you figure out which type of train you need to do to, to work, which muscle fibers, um, what your goal is. So then you've been to the gym or you've, you've been to the exercise class and you've, you've created that, um, those tears in the muscle, your muscles being broken down and now wants to repair back a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. So that's mm-hmm. called muscle hypertrophy. So this mm-hmm. essentially is growth in the thickness of the muscle cells. So there's a bit of a controversial topic, which sounds the same, but it's called muscle hyperplasia. So this is where it's theorized that the, the amount of muscle cells can increase, but I don't think it's actually being proven or there's not as much research done. So people think that it's like 95% of when we say our muscles get bigger is just comes from the existing cells growing and getting stronger. Mm-hmm. But if hyperplasia is real, if we can grow new cells, this does actually account for something like 5%. So when you think um, your muscles are getting bigger and stronger, it's the cells are already there. Your, your body's just creating them back mm-hmm. bigger. We aren't creating more muscle. We're just making the existing ones bigger. So so you've done your workout, you broke the muscles down. Now, if you want to create that hypertrophy, get them bigger, how do we do that? Okay, it's not just the workout. You need to fuel yourself correctly. You mm-hmm. need to sleep correctly. You need to lower your stress. All these things, uh, just as, if not more important <laughs> than the actual workout. Because if you just do the workout and you're breaking that muscle down and killing yourself in the gym, but you're not sleeping or eating right, mm-hmm. then that, that good stress just turns into bad stress. That workout becomes detrimental. So you have to take all the other aspects just as serious as the workout. Absolutely. And you know, we're talking about like the stress. If you think you've got a stress funnel and you've got so much stress coming in through the funnel, we have to also look at the external stresses that are going on in your life as to whether you can, your body can cope with the additional stress of strength training as well, because it is a stressor and your body deals with stress the same whether it's a good stressor or a bad stressor, it, it's stress. It deals with the, the same, like increases cortisol, increases adrenaline and does all that stuff. So if you have got like a really stressful job, you've got kids, you've got, you know, like elderly parents, you've got all sorts of stuff going on, then should you be doing a weightlifting program to create more stress to your body? That That's a, a debate, isn't it? Because we've got like this chart, haven't we, of like stresses in and how much stress your body can, you, the tolerance, it's the tolerance levels, isn't it, to stress? And really you're, as we've said, weightlifting and creating muscle is a stressor to the body. So if you've got too much stress already going on, you're eating crap, you're not getting enough sleep, then maybe you shouldn't be you should be fixing those things first yeah if you've got a lot of other stress going on in your life like the examples you said um as you get taught in the check institute you should be doing a work in program not a workout program so things like um things like tai chi moving meditation breathing exercises Mm. um just really gentle exercise like walking you want to build energy not expend it if you're really really stressed i know 
people say the gym can be a, a stress relief. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it can be, but at a certain point, if you, if you have got a lot of external stress going on in your body, then you're probably not going to get the, the real benefits that you would if you try to cure all those other stresses in your life. So yeah, sometimes a work in is far more beneficial than a workout. Yeah, because you become, cat- is it catatonic? Cata- Catabolic. Catabolic, not catatonic. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got catatonic and anabolic states, right? Cat- and catabolic you're... and anabolic. <laughs> <laughs> catabolic. <laughs> oh god my head's already it's like not working today so yeah so when you become catabolic um you start your body starts to break itself down basically to create energy which you don't want when you're trying to build muscle and fibers and all of that good stuff that we want to do um, you can't do it when you're under stress basically yeah and then anabolic is when your your muscles are repairing growing back bigger and the easier way to remember that remember that is um everyone's heard of anabolic steroids these are what the bodybuilders use to gain that muscle. They want to be in an anabolic state of building muscle. So that one hour in the gym is catabolic. You're breaking the muscle down, mm-hmm. but then you want to go anabolic really quick and build it back really big and strong um, as quick as you can. Yeah. So yeah, but if you don't want to take anabolic steroids, <laughs> that's the best way to build muscle <laughs> is, is do your workout and then rest. Okay, 70% of the human growth hormone, things like testosterone is released when we're in that REM sleep. So that muscle breakdown is all repaired and that new muscle is built back when we're in sleep up to 70%. So if you're missing, if you're missing your sleep, you're working night shifts and things like that, or you just, you go to bed too late, all that hard work you've done in the gym and that healthy diet, it's starting to become more and more obsolete if you're not getting yeah. sleep in because sleep is such a miracle. That's when everything happens. So yeah, get your sleep in. It's just as important, if not more important than the workout. And to go alongside that, a healthy diet, but in, in particular, if, you, if you're looking to change your body composition, try and increase your protein. So we did a, an episode on protein quite recently, which, which people seem to enjoy and found interesting. Mm-hmm. The government guidelines recommend that you have one gram of protein per kilo of body weight. But in our experience, that's far too low. And um, we would say try and bump it up to somewhere more like one gram per pound of body weight or maybe 0.8 grams per pound mm. of body weight and that's a more realistic figure if you want to build some nice lean muscle and obviously get it from good sources as well you don't want to be getting it from you know crap protein shakes which is full of soy and sugar you know what i mean get a good steak in you and some some eggs and some salmon and things Egg and like steaks that are pretty good like yeah uh yes what do i have to add to that dan um yeah so protein and if you can get your protein in as quick after you work out that's a pretty good way of uh, making sure that the muscles use that protein to build um so straight after a workout and you, you will feel hungry after a good workout as well i know i do thanks yeah. from experience yeah, so as close as you can, um, get your protein in, especially if you're a woman. Um, if you're a menopausal woman, you probably need more protein than you, than that recommended dose just because you're going through that kind of breakdown. Um, just a note on muscle fibers and sarcopenia. Did you mention sarcopenia? Uh, not yet. No, I was going to get to it, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so um, as you age, from the age of 30, you start to lose a percentage of your muscle mass, which is 2 to 3% from the age of 30. Um, once you've gone through menopause, that um, accelerates. And for men, it starts to accelerate from about the age of 65 to 70, I think it is. Um, it gets faster. But for women, it's really hard to build muscle fibers once you've gone through menopause because you haven't got the the hormonal stimulus to create muscle fibers as easily. You can do it, but it's not as easy as it is 
uh, pre-menopause. So what you should be doing is building as many muscle fibers as you can before you go through menopause so that when you you've gone through menopause, you've still got those fibers. You don't lose them. It's just, it's harder to build new ones once you're through. Yeah. So like we always say, try and build that good foundation. Yeah. So top tip is get into the gym. If you've not gone through menopause, get to the gym and start building some muscle fibers. If you have gone through menopause, you can still do it, but it takes a little bit more time and um, you you need to really work on the protein. Yeah. Like you say, the, the protein's a big one. People under eat protein, don't they? Um, yeah. Because you think, yeah, like we've said, if you're, if you're creating those, that microscopic damage in the muscle to repair back bigger and stronger. Um, so if those damaged muscle fibers, they won't heal completely if you don't have enough protein or enough sleep. It's just a fact they won't, they won't heal. You'll just be constantly sore and your risk of injury goes up. Um, mm-hmm. You won't grow or gain any muscle. Your chance of injury will increase as well as your frustration. You'll think, oh, I'm spending all this time in the gym. I'm not getting any results. I'm doing everything I'm, I'm meant to, but really, in fact, you're not eating enough protein. You might not be sleeping enough. Like you say, you can't out-train a bad diet, but you can't out-diet bad training. So a little bit of training in a very healthy diet and good sleep is a lot more effective than slaving away in the gym and then having two takeaways and a bottle of wine yeah. every Friday and Saturday night. And that's it's a hard truth for a lot of people to accept, isn't it? It totally is. It's just like, it's like I'm now, what am I, six months now with no alcohol? Yeah. Oh wow, well done. Can you believe that? Um, and if I was reading the other day in the, in the, an article in the paper about um, people having a packet of crisps a day, and if you just quit that packet of crisps a day, you'd lose like a stone at the end of the year or something. Oh and yeah. It's like it's just those little things that if you stop doing it, then it makes a massive difference over the long term. And it's just like what you're saying, you know. And a, your diet is everything, really. Yeah, imagine if you got those packets of crisps, though, and at the end of a year, if you got every single packet and you poured them out into a giant bowl and said, right, that's, that's, <laughs> like, how, many crisps you've that's how many crisps you've had. It would be staggering. You would be you would be sickened that you've ingested all of that. But because it's on like a day-to-day basis, it's that slow drip. Yeah. It almost seems inconsequential having like a little bag of crisps. Um, the same with alcohol. Oh, I'll just have this one beer every night. But then if you lined up... 365 beers on a table <laughs> right yeah, it's just Putting like all you... the calories and poison in there oh i know it's like what you were saying like having a, like i didn't think i was a big drinker but maybe i would have had like a glass of wine on a friday night a glass on a saturday night and a glass on a sunday night and that would have been like a bottle we'll say over a week over a weekend that's still a bottle of wine a week it's still like i think there's 1300 calories in a bottle of wine yeah so... times Whatever, even even say it was a thousand thousand calories times thousand calories, yeah. So like four thousand calories a month that I'm not having. Yeah. Over a year. God, so it's yeah, say close to fifty fifty thousand calories a year. That's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, what is it? Three. Let's let's say it's like three and a half thousand calories to lose a pound in fat. Mm. So it's like ten ten pounds in fat. Yeah. So it's there. So then close to a stone. Yeah. Yeah. God, yeah. I'm going to be ripped by December. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just going to cut everything out. No calories. Yeah. I've done a you. That's what you do, isn't it? You just like just eradicate eliminate. things from your diet. <laughs> yeah. Just like eradicate that from my life. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. exist anymore. Just to see if you can do it. I like the challenge of it just to see if I could do it. And now that I've done it, I'm like, I'm not even that bothered about drinking again. Yeah. There comes a point where you lose the, you lose the desire to have it. Initially, mm-hmm. that's what that's what you have to have that desire 
to create the change you have to you have to kind of have something to fight against yeah but then but then eventually you do it because you just enjoy the feeling you don't you're not doing it to get yeah. to get away from that desire you do it because you enjoy the new feeling uh-huh. and I don't even feel like I want to go back to it and I just think it's like it's actually freeing it's more freeing not to drink than it is to drink it's it's an enslavement it's an entrapment mm-hmm. Yeah, because the whole our whole culture is built around celebrating yep. and commiserating around drinking. The whole well. culture is built around it and going to the pub and who's going to drive and all of that kind of stuff. And actually, mm. when you don't, not part of that, it's like I'm getting boring now. Like, I've got any crack. <laughs> but uh. yeah, I just think it's it's more freeing. Me and my friend were talking about this because she doesn't really drink either, and. Uh, we were saying, isn't it freeing that we were walking on the beach at night, like 11 o'clock at night, and we were like, this is so good. It just feels really good. And it's like, you know, you, you know you're going to be fresh when you wake you up. You know well. you're going to wake up in the morning and be feeling good. So, yeah, yeah so it's anyway, not, so, anyway side, that's, sidetracking away from building muscle. <laughs> but yeah, from building muscle, like you say, you've got to reduce the fact to be able to see the muscle. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about is concentric and eccentric training. Oh yeah, well, that's really interesting. Because this is interesting. So, concentric training is when a muscle contracts. I think con contract. So, if you're doing a bicep curl, your bicep is contracting and your tricep is lengthening. Um, as you bring the so the muscle is contracting under tension. And when as you release the muscle, the the dumbbell down. So, if you're doing a bicep curl, you've brought your hand towards your shoulder. Your elbow is flexing as you start to extend the elbow that is an eccentric exercise now so the muscle is lengthening under tension so you've still got the weight in your hand but you're now lengthening the muscle under tension and there's been a lot of research around so that's an eccentric eccentric contraction when the muscle is lengthening and they've done a lot of research and they found that eccentric training is much more effective than concentric training um, because it can cause more damage to the muscle fibers. So all those little microfibers that we want to break down to create new ones and to build them up bigger, you actually create more on an eccentric, on the downward phase. So if you think about a squat, the eccentric phase of a squat is as you lower in your butt down to the chair, let's say, like say you're sitting in a chair, and then the concentric phase is as you contract and to come back up to a standing position. So, um, so it causes more muscle damage, which is what we want, essentially. Um, it, cre- it strengthens the connective tissues because you have to have more control on the downward phase. The body can take more weight on the downward phase, which is one thing you have to be careful about if you're in the gym training eccentrically. Um, it create, can create more force and it increases the, weight of, the rate of metabolism, which is better for weight loss. So if your weight loss is your, your goal, then you want to be working on the eccentric phase of an exercise. Yeah, it's really interesting how you can be, I think it's approximately your muscles are 30% stronger in the eccentric phase. Yeah. So, and it does create that, uh, it creates more muscle breakdown, then it's going to increase your metabolism. So for, for, for weightlifting, that can get like, um, it can get really effective. But if you just want to do bodyweight squats, you just think on the downward phase, just make that downward phase a lot longer. Take five, 10 seconds to lower yourself down doing a squat. And then when you stand back up in the concentric phase, just make it last one second. Mm-hmm. So you just so you just create longer on the way down. But yeah, eccentric training in terms of muscle gain and when weightlifting wise is really effective. 
But for those that have never tried it before, it does create a lot of muscle breakdowns. <laughs> so you can end up being yeah, really, so really sore. Really yeah. sore off it. It's yeah. like the difference between walking up a hill and walking down a hill. Like walking down is effectively harder than going up. Because you're constantly controlling that tension. You, you cannot, you yeah, cannot let tension. off at any time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Time under but, tension is a lot harder. Yeah, so in your example of the, the bicep curl, imagine um, you could lift 10 kilos for a bicep curl. Mm. Um, but once you get to your 10th rep, your, your concentric muscles are so tired, they kind of do a, one more rep. So what you could do is use your other hand, help lift that weight up. But then because your muscles yeah. are 30% strong on the way down, you can do another two or three reps just on the downward phase. And when you get to the bottom, use your other hand, lift it back up. Like, so you've got some assistance and then just lower your arm down. You'd be surprised how many more reps you can do just doing the downward phase. Obviously, if it's 30% stronger, you can probably do 30% more reps. But yeah, it is really going to increase that um, that muscle breakdown. So <laughs> it will be very sore. And that's one of the rookie errors we see as well, isn't it, in a gym when you see young lads in and they're like, and then just let go. You know, like they do a really good upward phase, but then they just let go. And you're like, no, they yeah. miss, you're missing out the juiciest part of the exercise, really. Yeah, you're better off reducing the weight by like 50% and just doing really controlled contractions. That's mm -hmm. like obviously working in a gym environment. I see it every day. It's it's ego lifting. You think the heavier the weight, the more muscle you're going to use, but there's, there's so much more goes into it. And um, when you're an experienced lifter, yes, the bigger the weight, the you know, I mean, the more stimulus you're putting on yourself, but you have to learn the basics way, way, way before you, you start lifting heavy weights. Yeah. And also when you're lifting heavy weights, you need to be making sure your form is good before you go heavier. Like, like you said, again, the example of the bicep curl, anyone can grab a heavy a weight that's too heavy for them and just swing it up there <laughs> to the shoulder. Yeah. But at some point it stops becoming a bicep curl because you're not even working the biceps, you're yeah. working the shoulders, the hips, you know, you're, but yeah, it's, it's not worth it. Your chance of injury just goes up drastically and the desired outcome, which is a bigger bicep, reduces because you're not actually working that muscle anymore. So yeah, it's all about just reducing the ego, learn the basics, do them well, and just progressive overload. You will get better over time. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, it's as simple as that really, but, and stick with it for as long as you can. As simple as that. So eat well, sleep well, train well. Listen to our <laughs> last two episodes, breathe away the fat, and then train, eat, and sleep. Yeah, and, your muscle and, that's, and that's body recomposition in a nutshell it is and you know don't underestimate the rest part but then like some people say oh, i just want to do the rest part it's like no you've got to you, <laughs> yeah. you've got to create the stim you've got to have the stimulus to create the adaptation yeah the rest will then facilitate the recovery yeah and often people in my experience with clients and just myself as well training resistance training eating healthy i sleep a lot better when i know i've done a workout oh, like yeah. what do you say the the best pillow in the world is fatigue. Like people say they can't sleep because they've pr pretty much slept all day. They just lay around <laughs> doing nothing. But if you expend some energy, do you know what I mean? You've, your hormones have been going and um, you get into a natural cycle of cortisol being high, but then when it lowers, you you know what I mean? You go into that rest and digest, that sleep phase, it will come more natural to you. Humans are meant to be active during the day, i.e. workouts and moving, um, and then sleep at night. So yeah, the best pillow is fatigue. Very good, Dan. Okay. Should we end on that note? Yes. Have you got anything else to add? Uh, no, I covered all my notes. I quite enjoyed that one. Yeah, me too. This is like our kind of bread and butter, isn't it? We're both strength, strength coach, coaches. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to like to to kind of 
teach people how where muscle actually comes from them where fat goes we just take these things into consider uh like for granted we know that exercise and eating healthy burns fat and again it's muscle but actually thinking where and how <laughs> does that happen yeah. like it, it almost makes you appreciate it more because it's a bit of a miracle isn't it it's amazing the human body is an amazing amazing thing and like the more you learn about it the more amazed you become by it because it's and everything is linked like you can't just do one thing without the knock-on effects of other things so once you start looking after yourself and learning these things and then that creates that spiral upwards of raising your own vibration yeah, it's like a compound effect, isn't it? You know, when, once you know how something works, then you appreciate it more. Your chances of doing it are going to increase, and then the chances of having the beneficial effects they're going to increase. So yeah, yeah. I, I read. A, I was listening. Who was I listening to the other day? Oh, Doctor Wayne Dwyer, and he was saying it's really hard to be an enlightened being when you've got like a neck injury. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, true. So like doing all this stuff and freeing yourself from pain and rehabilitating yourself and recovering and doing that, it just spirals you upwards. So then you can get into all the other stuff that's really interesting, like the energy and the, all of yeah. that kind of stuff and the psyche. But it's really hard to do that when you're stuck in your body because it's in pain or, you know, it keeps pulling you back in. Yeah, and like a realization that especially I've come to recently as well, and you do hear it a lot though, is that there won't ever be a point in your life where there isn't a challenge. Like you'll always have some challenge with your body yeah. to some degree or a relationship or a job. So you, there's no point in wishing that those challenges are going to go away. Often you hear that the more successful you get, the bigger the challenges become because it's just, it's yeah. that again, that's progressive overload. It's your chance to then level up and get better and better. So you kind of wish that challenges will go away because they won't. Like you just have to wish and be strong enough to constantly fight against it and improve yourself. That's what the, you know, that's what the aim of the game is, isn't it really? Growth in yeah, all yeah. dimensions. Yes. Yeah. You just there'll, there'll never be a point in your life where you don't have a challenge. Like that's, that is the obstacle you need to overcome to get better, which for resistance training is a really, really easy analogy. Mm. You are just overcoming a literal resistance. <laughs> it's lifting a weight. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like any challenge in life, that's that's the analogy I like to think of anyway. Yeah, really the physical body is pretty, I mean, it's amazing, but it's like kind of straightforward. <laughs> it's, it's mechanical. Biological, simple, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, bio, biochemistry, biomechanical, and all of that stuff. But then when you get into the mental, emotional, and spiritual bodies, then that's a little bit more complicated. But oh, they're the, the ones that tricks, yeah. yeah, they're the ones that drive the physical as well. So it, they're all interlinked. So you can't have the health of one without the health of the others as well. Exactly, which is why you should listen to our full episode of podcast because we talk about all this shit in detail. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, thank you for listening. And um, yeah, you can find us on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Ask Alexa. And I better not say that too loudly because I'm in my son's room and he's got one. I think I am plugged Start it kicking off. Yeah, she'll start kicking off. Um, and don't forget to leave us a review or pass the pod and share if you've enjoyed our content today. Yep, and we'll see you soon for another episode. Yeah, see you soon. Bye.